Hi everyone, I'm Tom. I'm Ben. I'm Matthew. Together we're Pappies. You can find us on Twitter at Pappies Tweet. Or at our website www.pappiescomedy.com. Or at our houses, uh, 11 Killion Road, is it? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's right, yeah. SW82XS. Thank you. So, Pappies. <laughs> How did you get into comedy? Well, we got into comedy by doing it, really. I think that sounds like a stupid thing, but that's why we did it. Um, you know, we were friends and we... We were. We were friends. Well, we were friends and we really loved comedy and we wanted to do it ourselves. So we started putting a night on in a room above a pub. And uh, at the time, Ben and I lived in Wolverhampton. And Matthew and we had a few other friends who we started off doing a night together. And we'd just travel down, Ben and I travel down to from Wolverhampton. And we'd, we'd do it on a Saturday night. And we'd sit up late on a Friday night, having emailed each other that week. And um, we'd sit up late on a Friday night and rehearse and try stuff out and muck around. Get up on the Saturday, do it all day Saturday. Fall out, have lunch, make up, drive to the pub, put on the show. And like, because it had been literally like it would be a day of rehearsals and then we'd put it on stage. We didn't know what on earth it was going to be. And we put on these huge rambling nights of comedy, bits of stand-up. We'd all do bits of stand-up, bits of character, sketches, songs. Big mishmash of a night. We did that for a year, you know, with a show every month. So we did like, you know, and we found out what we wanted to do by doing it, really. And it, uh, like it wasn't going to clubs and finding out at that point. It was just we wanted to do it. We thought it was a fun thing to do and making each other laugh with the things we'd try and write. And that's how we kind of worked out that that's what we wanted to do. Yeah, I was going to say the good thing as well is that we did the first kind of 12 gigs we did. We did like a monthly gig for for 12 months, for a year. Yeah. Um, we did that pretty much in front of our friends and family. We sort of, until when, we, when it got to like 12 gigs along, we pretty much exhausted the goodwill of anyone who knew us. So they didn't want to come and see us anymore. So we started performing slots at clubs. And obviously we'd done like 12 different kind of two hour long shows. So when it came to clubs saying, oh, do a five minute slot, we had like, you know, none of it was particularly good, but we have lots of stuff to pick from. So we didn't, so doing five minutes wasn't, as daunting as when people are getting their first five minutes together it can seem like a really daunting task how am I going to fill five minutes but we had loads of silly sketches and also we were quite like at that time there weren't many sketch acts on the stand-up circuit I mean there still really aren't that many but um so that was that was good we, we'd already had like a year's worth of experience of performing before we started on the circuit and we had and we were a little bit different in our style so I think that that helped us out Yep. (laughs) 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 And that that kind of built up to our our first Edinburgh show. Um, All the stuff that we kind of accrued over that time, we we went up to Edinburgh and that was kind of the turning point for us then where we decided, well, going up to Edinburgh really was kind of a big commitment. So at that point we were like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to try and do this properly. And uh, Tom and I moved down to London and that, that was kind of it really. That was... For, that was like Edinburgh 2006, and from that point on, we've kind of been... Plateauing. Yeah, <laughs> we've kind of been going uh, slowly downhill. <laughs> and did you do the full month on your first Edinburgh? Yes. Um, yeah, we did. We were in a, a free fringe venue, so it was kind of very... Um, it was really brilliant for us for a first-time show because we, we didn't have to tackle any big debt or anything. Uh, it wasn't a huge commitment um, financially. So we just did our shows and, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I did our shows and, oh dear. 
we had some great advice actually. You just remember um, we we were one of the first slots we were getting was with this variety act called Dalton Trombos. <laughs> What were they called? Dalton Trombos Alternative Reluctant Cabaret. Dalton Trombos Reluctant Cabaret, and they were this, uh, they were this great uh, variety kind of group. And do you remember, it was 2005, and we said to them, we're thinking of going to Edinburgh, and they said, he said, don't rush it. Take your time. You know, you've got some good stuff now. Give it another year. There's no rush to go. And we followed his advice. It was literally his advice, wasn't it, Marcus? That's his name, Marcus Reese harris yeah. He, but that was really useful. And I think it's, it's advice that I would definitely, definitely pass on to anyone now. Because a lot of people... Uh, especially because stand-up on tour is such a popular thing. A lot of people see their first like their first um, glimpse of stand-up is watching someone do like a two-hour-long show. So they go, right, I want to go and do my hour up in Edinburgh. I want to do an hour up in Edinburgh. And people don't craft themselves a really serviceable 20 minutes to, to play around the clubs. So people are really anxious to go, I've got to do an hour, I've got to do an hour. But actually, it would be it's far better. And I'm really pleased that we waited. Like we did a... We did a um, we did an hour on the free fringe. The next year we did an hour at sea venues. And that was the year we, we got nominated. But I think if we'd gone a year earlier, we wouldn't have seemed like quite such an exciting proposition. I think because people hadn't really heard of us when we did our second show. Um, you know, you like, you, like it's, it's fine. There are, there, are, there are plenty of different ways to do it. But I think rushing to, to do an hour is a bad move. I mean, have we been performing? We've probably been performing for two years before we went to Edinburgh. Yeah. And so, again, like we had a lot to shoot from for our first hour. And yeah, it made all the difference. And what was your first performance like in comparison to your last performance, the first time you went to the Edinburgh Festival? How did it change? I think in terms of the feeling of being in Edinburgh, um, I don't know, I'm not so sure about the performances, but certainly in terms of the ethos was when you first go up, you really have to, you're up, we were up, you know, two hours before the show, we were out onto the streets, flyering, you know, we'd, we'd met pretty much, without exception, every one of our audience members by the time we got on stage, one of us had, because we'd been in the street, stopping people, talking to people, you'd do the show, you'd have a, like an hour off, you'd go out and you'd fly her again for the next day. And it's like that, just, it's all consuming. And we were handing out badges at the end that we were making ourselves on like a badge press. So we'd go back home and do like two hours making badges so that we had badges to hand out the next day. And it was like, this production line of the show that was all consuming really so the air on the stage was actually quite a small part of that feeling and uh, when you first start it's and I, mean, I don't think this feeling ever goes away part of what i love about edinburgh is that feeling of you against the world in that not and it's not in like in a competitive way not against other people but against the festival because it's such a beast of a festival it's just yeah it's such a big thing the chances of even getting an audience or of getting somebody who you uh, respect who to come and see your show any of those things happening is so feels so small when you go up for your first time and it's like right let's try and do this let's give it everything we've got and it's like that i lo love that feeling that edinburgh engenders and even now i mean like obviously it changes if you get somebody to back you like we're very lucky we have phil mcintyre to take us up and they've got i mean the first year when we had people flying for us is so, such a strange feeling you, you don't know what to do with your days you feel guilty am i doing enough for the show and then you start to worry about just you can start thinking about just the performance on stage but the more i think about that first year at edinburgh once we had the show like we didn't really think about the show as much the show took care of itself it was everything else that we were worried about and then you know that changes i think when you if you can get a bit of backing or you get somebody to do the flyering for you then it it, it it changes but you never lose that feeling i don't think of you against the world you against 
not and again not in a competitive way in any way but it's like right you know let's bulletproof we always talk about bulletproofing the show before we get there let's make it watertight bulletproof and then let's attack this and i always feel that way like it's us against the world when you get up to the fringe tom has got in trouble for punching audience members we should uh, <laughs> we should stress that when he starts a show by, right, you bastards, you're going to get it. That's a real worry. It's us against you. Well, hang on a sec. We came in for a comedy show. Shut up. Wearing a Kevlar vest and an anorak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think the other thing to add is that thing of, I mean, like I can remember the, I mean, like, the difference between now and then is in 2006, that first year, it's like, Every day by the Scotsman, we used to I used to scare it to see if they'd reviewed us. We we had no idea, like we didn't have anyone to tell us if press were in or no one on the door that said they were press because it was the free fringe. Yeah, so we were on the door. We wouldn't like that, you know, someone would just come in and sit down. You wouldn't know if they were press or not. You would see someone with a pad. Are they a reviewer? Get online, try and see. And like that obsession with and it, it, in that in in those days, it's because you wanted to try and bring in an audience. You want something you can put on your poster. You want something you can put on your flyer. And so there was like that kind of desire to be noticed in a way whereas now you think the, the, like the last time we went to Edinburgh you you know like Matthew didn't really read reviews at all I didn't ban myself from reading a review but I tried not to look at them you still read them but we didn't talk about them and it's like that difference from being we would love we need to get this review to like if we get a review I don't really want to hear about it like there's a massive difference in that respect and I think the other thing that doesn't change is the the great thing about Edinburgh is that it's so you're so close to all the people you respect in the business. So just talking about the sort of the difference um, is that when we first did a show, uh, our first two years, we were kind of the underdog. So when we got reviews, we'd be reviewed as that. Oh, this is a little gem that you won't have heard of, or these are you know people you've never seen before. Whereas when you're in, and it's it's a strange thing when you we we moved up uh, in 2009 for the first time. We were in the Pleasant One, and we were there uh, 2010 as well. You're you're viewed as a big show. You're one of the big shows. You know yeah. we're on at we're on at sort of 7:30. When we did our first show, we were on at 12:30 in the afternoon. So when Tom said we got up two hours before, that genuinely was a big thing to get up at like 10 o'clock or get up at you know. Uh, half past nine, oh. which felt it's so in, in Edinburgh time. That's like getting up at three in the morning. Horrible. Yeah, it really is. It's awful. So, um, so now we get. Also, sorry to interrupt there. You, you remember? <laughs> we were sharing a double bed, weren't yeah. we? We had, we had like the accommodation we had was like one double room. There was four of us. Then there was a double bed and two twins. So, like, I can remember mornings where it'd be like, Clark, it's your turn to go out flyering having to, like, push Clark out of bed. We, we had to share a bed for the whole month. The show was like a baby, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And it's like, no, it's your turn to... It's your turn to... You've got to get up today. You've got to get up and rock the rock the crib <laughs> that will get people into the into the audience. Yeah, so, so yeah, so things things like that change because it becomes it becomes more of a business. But I think what's kind of... What we try not to lose sight of, and this is it's, it's quite depressing. You see very new acts, and I know I keep going on about this, but you see very new acts going, ah, oh, I'm going to, you know... I, how am I going to get industry into my show? How am I going to get industry in? And you go, well, actually, get 40 people who like comedy and want to see the show. Like, we never had industry in, in, our first, in our first show. In our second show, it was purely by coincidence. It wasn't because we were actively seeking or networking uh, with people. We just wanted, like, comedy, like, when you're doing comedy in clubs, it's not about, you know, who's in from BBC Three. It's about how do we make like 120 people laugh as hard as they as they can that's yeah. the most important thing and i think it's very easy especially in edinburgh to lose sight because it, the business side of it 
because you're not because you're not up there making you know you're not making like 100 quid like you might do for doing a gig or whatever you're there thinking i'm losing money what am i going to get out of this one you know where's my tv show or whatever we found that actually that that transition i remember it particularly we felt it after 2007 and we'd been nominated and as you said we were always the the underdog and then going into 2008 it was suddenly like we suddenly felt a weight of pressure and it wasn't until kind of we had a we had a discussion and Tom Tom was saying like actually we don't need to worry about the critics because they're not who we write the show for like we don't actually we never cared about them before so we don't need to care about them now all we need to focus on is putting an hour together that audiences are really going to find funny and it was like oh yeah actually that is what it's all about and that's fine because that's what we do and that's what we want to do so as soon as you, you kind of don't feel the pressure from critics and just want to make people laugh you're kind of like oh, actually that that's great that's all we want to do it's really easy to lose sight of that especially with like with the reviews becoming especially if it's just you if you like if you're doing a show on your own luckily we kind of have each other to do it but if you're doing a show on your own it's people you feel like they're almost reviewing you as a person so i've i've, I've gone up to, co- to comedians like in the brooks bar in edinburgh gone how are you doing and they've listened literally true they've gone yeah 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 four stars four stars and you go no no how are you doing not how is the show go- doing like people will respond you know how are you doing well two stars in the list no 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 forget that are you having a nice time are you enjoying yourself it's a, it should be a really fun month the one thing i would say about edinburgh and i think still the thing that rings true no matter the difference between our first year or now is in in that first year um steve hall from we are clang came to see the show and matthew you you knew him from the circuit a little bit so matthew said look we've got this sketch show i'm in this sketch team do you mind coming and having a look and we waited every day of the festival is steve hall gonna come from the we are clang is steve hall gonna come and on the last day of the festival hung over to high heaven he came in sat in the audience and like you could tell he was so hung over and he watched it through the bottom of his eyes like that and we were delighted and he said he sent a lovely text afterwards that said that was cracking i loved it and it made our festival and it wasn't because he was a reviewer it was because he was someone who has made us laugh when we went to his show that festival and the great thing about edinburgh is that you are on everyone's on the same playing field no matter how well promoted your shows or not People are all there doing comedy in a very small space. And you you will see, you know, there's... I remember the first time I went to Edinburgh, sat in the courtyard. There's Stuart Lee. There's Paul Merton. There are these absolute... You know, like, in, 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 my, in your mind, when you first start comedy, they're, they're gods, those people. And yet in Edinburgh, they're just there in the street all the time. And they're all, they've all done it. They all know what it's like to see a show. And I will never tire of... And that's the big test, is when you see people in the audience who you love or you respect or you, you value... That's what that's what Edinburgh's about, I think, is it's part of I mean like there's loads of audience in Edinburgh and that's great. But there's also so many incredible people there who come and see shows, see lots and lots of comedy and love comedy. And if you can do a show that they enjoy, there is no better feeling than that. And I can remember, you know, two thousand and seven when we did get a little bit more noticed and you can start say you see like see somebody come in and stand at the back and it's like, Oh my god, like I remember the, the first time when DID was there and it's like Taylor Doherty's in and he's laughing and like that's great. Like, you know, I can make that guy laugh and that's lovely and the, like they and that's for me, that's Edinburgh in a nutshell, is being able to perform to people who, you you know, you just think are great. Well, then, because you've also performed across the world, including the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So how do you feel that Edinburgh, for example, compares to Melbourne and how do different audiences around the world react to your comedy? Well, the Melbourne Festival was an interesting one in that it's almost like the anti-Edinburgh Festival. And I mean that in a very positive way. Um, they handpick the acts, the international acts they 
bring over and they pay for you to come over so that your flights get paid for they put you up in a gorgeous hotel and they do all the promotion for your show um, and we'd had a really, really successful, um, had a really successful Edinburgh. We'd gone up there. Um, we had no, like against all odds, we had a, a sold out shows and we had a nomination uh, for the, you know, what used to be the Perrier Award. So it was great. Um, and then uh, Melbourne went, "Oh, come and do our festival." We were like we we're riding on a, a cloud, really, going, "This is incredible. Get to become international comedians." When you know, literally three months ago, we were teachers. We weren't. We we, we had sort of proper jobs. So we get over to to Melbourne, and um, the venue was like a tent next to sort of melbourne's equivalent of leicester square so super loud like bleeding straight through no one had heard of us obviously because only people had only just heard of us in edinburgh and so we were getting 19 there was a fun fair next to our tent as well we were getting 19 20 19 or 20 people a day um in a 280 seater tent with wooden floors so that anytime people left to go to the bar you could hear clack 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 and our show was a show we loved and we'd written and we we'd really enjoyed it but we hadn't toured it anywhere we'd only we'd pr- only really previewed it in london and the cracks in the show began to appear where there were like we had lots of things that like paid off way like we set up very early in the show that paid off way later but the audiences who didn't know who we were and weren't necessarily used to watching fringe shows um would watch it and go well this isn't funny and we're like no it won't be not funny yet but in a second it's going to really pay off and they were like no we want funny now and so um it was a really tough month um uh, but it meant that when we went to write our 2008 edinburgh show going back to steve hall from clang it's what he described as high altitude training you uh, you perform that show to people who don't want to you know like you, you take them on a journey where by the end of the hour they really like you even though they hated you at the start of the hour and we realized there was a, a but there were better ways of writing an edinburgh show and i think it really informed the way you wrote the 2008 show because we really made sure it was full of jokes yeah i mean like in some ways it was and, and like we'd never have said this at the time but it was a bit of a blessing really because honestly like getting nominated and no one knowing who we were was an insane time like people our agents were calling us loads of agents wanted to sign us loads of production companies wanted to work with us and we didn't know anything about either of those things you know we were given a pilot on radio 4 a pilot on channel 4 so tv and radio pilot and the melbourne festival in the space of five months and we had no real capacity to deal with that really and of course we said yes to everything you know i think even if i went back now i'd say we would do the same thing again but um i really like looking at the melbourne festival as a reality check where you, where it reminds you that you're only as good as your last show you know and you actually think i think if we hadn't been to melbourne we would look back at that 2007 show and be like that was incredible what an incredible show the show we got nominated for we could never better that and i honestly think we'd have struggled to start writing for edinburgh in 2008 because you know, but what it did was it did, like you said, it showed the cracks. It was like, hang on, this show isn't that, you know, and obviously I love that show, but you you really look at it and you really see it. And then you go, right, we can better this. We can write, there's so much more we can do. It almost to protect ourselves from that Melbourne experience. It's like, you don't want, I mean, like, and, and, and like I'd say that's the thing about Edinburgh. We've always prided ourselves on. Unless you love the show that you take to Edinburgh by the time you take it to Edinburgh, then I can only imagine it's the longest month of your life. And we've always previewed the hell out of our shows. You know, like we've done 30 pre, we've done as many previews as we've done shows in Edinburgh. So that by the time it gets there, 
we are sure we love it because otherwise it would probably destroy us. Like, not I'm not talking about what people's perception of us. us you know, like, that very nearly happened in Melbourne. Like, it felt like we were imploding because the show wasn't watertight to hold us. Really, it felt like we were sinking, to mix my metaphors. But, but you know, like, it's that thing of, right, next time we, we waterproof this bastard and we make sure that wherever we take this show, we can do it. Well, I was going to say, I would love... I mean, I, I, it was, it's one of those opportunities that I sort of w wish we could have again. The problem is it's an expensive thing to take th uh, three people over to Melbourne. When you get what, you know, if you take one person over who will do an hour, it's a th third of the cost. It makes sense. Um, so I, but I'd love for them to take us back and like t for us to go, look, we, we definitely can do it now. I know we messed up first time, but give us a second chance. We, we are definitely we are definitely comedians well, now. Yeah. <laughs> like, we didn't. It's not even that we messed up. Is it? We, we, we had very tough. They were what they did to us. They put us in that tent and it was next to a big wheel. There is nothing worse than performing a show for an hour. And you hear people, people have such fun on big wheels. And like you, people were sat watching this sketch comedy, and all they could do was, yay, yay. I think every, we all wanted to be on that big wheel instead of performing the show. I left during one show and just got on the big wheel. You could hear me outside, hey, I'm not coming back. Uh, yeah, I, I remember, and, and this is an, uh, another lesson I think we learned from it. Like having all of that stuff, you know, getting a nomination and, and suddenly talking to producers, getting a chance to make a pilot. And we're, we're kind of were under the illusion that we'd kind of made it. And I remember like getting into the hotel room and saying to Tom, like, wow, I think we've, I think this is, I think this is it. I think we've made it. And realizing like that, that, that doesn't really happen. You never really quite make it like you think it would happen before. You're kind of always kind of waiting for that moment where you can relax, but that doesn't really come because you, you're always staring down the barrel of a new show or like what's the next thing you're going to do and you can never really you can always enjoy it but you can never really relax you can never rest on your laurels because ev everyone's ready to kind of go well you know last year's show wasn't as good as the one before i think they've lost their touch or you know it's always ready to come <laughs> crashing down around you. And you've all done stand-up as well as sketch performing. So did you perform straight stand-up when you were uh, in Melbourne? And also, how do you find that performing stand-up compares to performing sketches in general in the comedy scene? Um, none of us did stand-up in Melbourne, to my knowledge. Did you just did you do some stand-up? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's on the big wheel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, performing stand-up comparing to sketch well Crosby's the best you've taken a show of you've done a, you've done an hour in Edinburgh haven't you stand-up I've done some stand-up I mean, we both Ben and I have done some stand-up we all started doing stand-up uh, simultaneously really when we were doing the sketch at the same time um, I think the difference between performing stand-up and sketch is that stand-up in some ways is a lot more direct in terms of being able to communicate a joke and when you really get on stage you don't have to fight what I think is the initial feeling of this is going to be shit or these guys are dicks because so I think if you're in a comedy club and you go sketch comedy now and you jump up on stage as sketch comedians one of the biggest tasks you have to do is overcome that feeling of, oh, God, really? Sketch comedy? Whereas with a stand-up, I think you're streamlined, you're in the acceptable form of comedy. I think the pluses of sketch is that when you fail, when you have those tough gigs, when you die, you get to share it with friends and you get to you know, pass the blame, share the agony, take the responsibility in a way that doesn't feel like a personal failure. And I can remember the, and like death still really hurt when you do sketch, but you can share them. 
whereas you know when you're doing um when you're doing stand-up it can feel like if you do a bad gig it can feel like it's a judgment on you or you can feel like you know what i'm not a comedian i'm not funny that's it whereas i think that feeling is less intense with sketch that's the that's the thing and, and the only other thing i think is as well is is it, that selfish gene of being a comedian is like when you think of a really great joke in sketch it's not always going to be your joke it's going to be the group's joke or it's going to be someone else someone else will say it and it is a different kind of satisfaction but you have to learn to not do like you ne- you should never say after a show oh i wrote that bit like, it, like you have to let go of it and learn this is going to be a collective triumph it's going to be a collective failure and sometimes that you know in the same way that we stand up you'll always have that feeling of that's my joke. I just said that joke. It got that laugh. And that, you know, the purity of that, you can kind of water it down. But I would take, you know, I, I think there's pros and cons either side. I think the other thing that, that uh, is tough is the travelling. Like, if you're travelling around a lot on your own, it's a pretty it's pretty lonely travelling to, to and from a gig on your own, like a big, long train journeys up and down the country. And it's even more lonely if you've, you know, travelled for two and a half hours, got on stage for 20 minutes, they've hated you. You've walked back to the station, got back on the train and travelled for another two and a half hours. That's that's a pretty lonely journey. Um, and, I, and I think, whereas... Like if we're, yeah, if we're driving home from a, from a bad gig, the three of us in the car, probably about, you know, 30 minutes into it, we're laughing about how bad the gig was. Whereas it takes a much longer time when you're a stand-up to go... Oh, it was brilliant, wasn't it, when I was there on the stage on my own, just talking to stony silence or worse, active anger and booing. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, it literally comes down to a, uh, like, like, like D- we talked about DOD earlier, he's got that, um, what do you think, he's got in his song, he has a song called FAQ for the DOD, and one of the lines is, what do you think is the secret of a great comedian? And he says, you must like sitting on trains and have quite low self-esteem. And I think that's pretty much, that is the life of a, yeah, that's the life of a comic, isn't it? Just sit, sitting on trains, you know, kind of trying to be optimistic on the way to the gig and trying to be realistic on the way back from the gig. And that's, uh, and that's pretty much it. But yeah, but I, but I, I mean, I did, a, I did my first hour this year, which was, was I, really, I really enjoyed doing it. And it, yeah, there's, there's nothing like it. Well, but then the weird, the weird thing was, when I did have a really good show, I also had my tech guy, who is Pappy's tech guy, a fellow called uh, uh, James Lowy, who we, has been doing our tech since 2007. So I always had him like, to share it with. And I, it became this thing where like, if I had a good show, I'd hang out with the venue staff more afterwards because I want to celebrate. I want to go for a drink with them. It's almost having a good show is kind of almost as bad. That's when you're a stand-up. You're like, oh, I want. I've had a great show. I want to celebrate. Oh, I'm in a hotel room on my own in Leicester. How do I celebrate? I don't know. Drink a pint of ale in bed. That's what I did the other day. Um, yeah, and then just text people all the time. What are you up to? What are you up to? Oh, Crosby's on tour. Um, but yeah, so it's yeah, it, it is. It can be. It can be very. Uh, it's 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 great to celebrate the you know the successes as well. Um, I, I've I've tried stand-up a few times, and I kind of every single time. The first few gigs I've had, I've really enjoyed and done quite well. And then I've gradually enjoyed it less and done less well, which I'm sure those two things kind of inform on each other. But generally, I find I don't... Yeah, I, I really enjoy doing sketch and I really enjoy working collaboratively. I think that that's, that's the main thing I've kind of pinned it down to is that I like working with people. And the kind of stand-up just doesn't appeal to me in the same way. But another thing is that I find that stand-up is kind of like, um, it then feels like it's something that I have to do or something that, like, 
in, in the future, I kind of think, well, I'm going to have to do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to think of myself as a comedian. Just doing, because it's like, <laughs> my parents said to me the other day, like, well, I think of you, you know, more of a comic actor rather than a comedian. And you kind of think, well, that, that I think that will always be the case unless you kind of stand up feels like the last thing to do. You know, you, can, you can't really call yourself a comedian unless you've done stand up. That's actually, that's a really interesting distinction. I think sketch comics are often fighting against that and one of the things i've always prided ourselves on and we've always prided ourselves on is the fact that we do the circuit so we know lots of stand-ups because we go out in clubs we don't do in fact we always died at sketch nights because we were too we were too stand-uppy we'd come out and chat to the audience as like three stand-ups and then go into the sketches whereas in sketch nights people were very put up the fourth wall and go for it so so i've always i've always thought that and it is a kind of badge of honour of ours that we, you know, we, we don't get booked in loads of clubs, but we do try our best. Like if a, club, if a club offers us a gig, we'll definitely do it. And more often than not, when we do a gig, we'll be on the bill with other stand-ups rather than other sketch acts. So I, I really like that. There's a really, um, I, was doing, I was trying to start doing a bit more stand-up at the moment. And um, I was talking to our friend uh, Colin Anderson, who produces one of our podcasts. And he said, how do you think it went? And I said, well, one of the things I've got to get used to in my brain is because I'm so used to being the person who say, say like talks nonsense for a while. And then I know that I've got these two guys next to me who will undercut it to make it funny or will provide a joke to make it funny at the end. Or like, I think, I know if I start this journey, there'll be a funny ending with these two guys because it's something we've, you know, spent a long time doing. And um, it reminded me of like with Lee and Herring, how... You can still hear in Stuart Lee's stand-up Richard Herring's voice. You hear it very clearly. And Richard Herring, there's still a Stuart Lee voice in his stand-up. And it's like, Colin said to me, you almost need to think what is your Crosby or Ben voice when you're doing those things in order to undercut yourself. And I hadn't thought of that before, but it's like, because the way I'm used to working in comedy is to have that thing that's going to come from somebody else it's kind of like because if you're on stage in a group and you're trying to do it all yourself it never works you know always stands out a mile and i think it's it's an interesting thing to try and get used to working in that different way well when i started doing my uh, solo show i always like I, I, you sort of make you sort of account for that like i do i did talk to james during the show and i talked to the audience a lot so often i'll use the audience as a because like basically the, the third that i play is you know if Tom starts a silly sentence, I will cut him down and be logical. So what I'd often do was almost ask questions of my of the audience where they would say something silly and I could cut them down and be logical. So I could still play that same role. But I, you do sort of you do sort of feel and it like and, and occasionally reviews would say that like you kind of could feel the lack of the other two because I'm sort of this, the more serious, the more straight person. So what you end up with is quite a serious comedy show which you know if people are coming going oh this guy out of pappies it'll be really fun and silly and you go oh he's just he's talking about how he's always he always feels a bit ill that's not as much fun as we <laughs> not as much fun as we expected it to be but i sort of you know it's quite nice to kind of flex a different muscle and you've also done some comic acting for example matthew you're in trini and susanna's what they did next Correct. where you play toby faith the junior agent i've watched them it's Trini and Susanna, what they did next.com. <laughs> You've also got a link on your new website where you can move to Tumblr. You've, right. You've done your research. <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to now talk about my move to Tumblr? Because uh, there, is, uh, there, is, there is a press release going out this week. Crosby's move to Tumblr. Matthew Crosby, Tumblr.com. Um, yeah, um, 
I, I'm not, I don't consider myself a, uh, an actor. I don't think I'm a, I'm a uh, like a performer. I've always sort of thought if I'm going to be anything like a comic performer, because I act, once you give me a script, I always feel like it's, that's what I like about Pappies is we never really stick to a script. We can kind of just play, we can play characters, but we can kind of be loose and fun with it. And that was really, really good because there was no particular, there was a script written, but because Trini and Susanna um, just refused to learn the script, it meant that Katie Wicks and I got to sort of improvise around them. And that was a really fun way. It was, it was, and I know like this is people are going to jump down our throats because Susanna said this and The Guardian took the piss out of her for it. But it was a bit like Kirby Enthusiasm where there isn't a script, but there's a funny idea and you improvise around it. And then the, and then obviously Chris Faith, who was the editor, uh, sorry, the director and editor, he, he sort of chopped out all the best bits. And it's funny that like more TV shows aren't made that way because there are loads of really good comic improvisers. And it would be great to get a bunch of them together and say, like, you know, it, although very, very, it could very well be Love, Honor and Obey, uh, the movie. It was a really fun thing. Like, they clearly, they was, they're somebody who are, are very attuned to exactly where they are in the sort of showbiz strata. The, like, the main source of their income is doing tours of Australia where they go to every Westfield shopping centre and just do, like, catwalk shows there. So they know they're not. And that was, it was really fun to kind of be, be involved in a, in a, like a, a sort of really silly project like that. Go on, what are you going to say? They speak about um, showbiz strata, where they stand. Clarkie did some acting last year with uh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. And you were improvising there with Hugh, weren't you? I was, yeah. It was just, uh, it was for an advert and I had to follow him around and be um, an annoying fan, which was very easy to do, really, and just um, get on his nerves. It was great fun. Do you feel right? This is how I, uh, this is what I was going to ask you about that. Um, I've taken over, by the way. <laughs> like, what, what, what I genuinely wanted to ask you about is, because I, I feel like you, in some ways, Matthew saying about not being a comedy actor, is, and I think a lot of performers will feel that way, is you feel a bit like, oh, God, I'm a fraud. I'm going to be found out I'm not a real actor or like I'm not a real performer. And sometimes, like, if you start to think that, then you can get very nervous or, like, I always get, like, a slight head sweat. Like, did you did you get that when you were sat in a trailer or sat next to waiting to do acting with Hugh Jackman. Like, that must have been a very difficult thing to get a lid on. For, well, I would have found it very difficult, but you seem to, you seem very natural, like, obviously you seem very natural when you're doing it. You seem very relaxed indeed. And I was like astounded by that. Yeah, it's, it's strange actually. It is strange because in my head, for some reason, it was less nerve wracking than say doing, than I found like doing stand up. I suppose I'm, more, although it was, it was kind of basically everything I did was improvised in it, which is kind of a very similar thing to stand up. But if if someone would say like, "I'll oh, go on stage and like improvise a character in front of this audience," I would have found that much more nerve wracking than kind of. But it's like having I don't know maybe it's like the collaborative thing of kind of having someone to bounce off. It's just something I'm I'm kind of quite used to doing, and it felt more more in the comfort zone. But it was Hugh Jackman. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> like uh, that's the element. I know. Like, you can improvise in character and stuff. Sorry, are we forgetting. I've met and worked with Trini and Susanna. Are we? I mean, I, you know, I, I just don't I've got, I've got Susanna's phone number. I could call her now. You'd started talking to us about, you know, they, they work in shopping centres. This is about them. This is about us. Well, listen, I, I would like to promote their new tour. They're going to Australia <laughs> now. Australia, as we know, the home of Hugh Jackman. But let's not talk about Jackman too much. Westfield Shopping Centre. Okay, I, I think I've got the dates here. April, <laughs> April 17th, they're in Brisbane. On the 19th, they'll be in Perth. Uh, on the... Think of another place, Crosby, come on. <laughs> oh, they're in Melbourne, but there's a big fun fair next to the shopping centre. <laughs> huge Ferris wheel. Oh, no, it's a huge, <laughs> huge Ferris wheel is another day. <laughs> 
And then in 2009, um, you did Pappy's Fun Club world record attempt to do 200 sketches in an hour. So what was your inspiration and the ideas behind trying to break a world record through comedy? Well, with that show, <laughs> it was mainly um, just coming up with something silly that we definitely couldn't do. Well, actually, initially we were going to call it like two million sketches uh, in an hour. And then we're like, oh, actually, let's try and make it sound like like it could be something that we're realistically attempting to do. But the idea of the show was kind of the story of us attempting and failing and then succeeding and making that record attempt. So it was, it was a nice show for us to write in that... The, the, like it kind of looked after itself the theme of the show and and right from the get-go it just it <laughs> gave us a really kind of i don't know a really a, a real fun drive for the show and it meant that um we could always kind of keep the pace up and keep it moving on and and and, and especially what we used to try and do very early on it was like we were running this show and we were kind of the compares, and then the characters, which were always uh, also us, would come on and kind of ruin the show. And it was all—it almost kind of harked back to that in some ways of kind of us kind of sabotaging ourselves. Well, I was going to say the the, the thing with uh, show title for Edinburgh is that you come up with the show title in uh, sort of February, March yeah about march time and often the show is not you've not written one word of it so that was the first time where we were all I mean, we we're all sitting in the car going we've, we've got to come up with something and, and this idea was mooted um, of, of doing a world record attempt and like immediately one it gave us a, a show to write and two it gave a sort of mystery to like it was like to put a cynical business hat on um it it was a selling point because people were, were genuinely going are they going to do it is it going to happen and i remember when we did our previews i would often like put out stuff on our on our uh, website going we managed 86 last night we're getting closer to the record so like creating this kind of mythology around the show so when people came and saw the show even though in the first sort of minute and a half we pretty much dis we, we pretty much proved that we weren't going to do it it was still that kind of thing of people going oh maybe we are going to see 200 sketches forgetting of course that if you saw a show that was 200 sketches in an hour it would be unwatchable yeah. it would just be too like, there would be no show to it i think like when you're writing an edinburgh show it's just looking for a hook to hang comedy onto what's the hook and it was the it's one of the cleanest hooks we've come up with and in terms of putting a sketch show together very much we always well I, I always think of it as like I think we all do is like you look at the sketches as the bricks but you need the mortar is it's essential to make a good wall go on Wait, where does the hook come into this wall oh you well then once the wall's up then you nail the hook into the wall yeah. and everyone has a nice time uh, but like you need comedy coat to it yeah but you you need you know like we, we've always needed i don't know why but for some reason we've always needed to give a reason as to why we're on that stage we've always needed to look for it and it used to be pappy we used to say this old man is putting us on this stage and we're here because pappy is putting us there and it's almost like we have always needed to legitimize our reasons for doing the comedy and 200 sketches offered as a very legitimate reason to do it. And so you were saying how Pappy put you on the stage. Is that the inspiration behind the name 
Pappies. Yeah, initially, I, I mean, initially it was just kind of a silly, a silly title. But we, like, with our first show, pretty much we were like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if it's like Pappy's like this rich benefactor, and we never see him, but he always informs the show. So we'd always like, oh, we've just had a just had a telephone call from uh, Pappy, and he wants us to do this. So he'd be like setting us tasks, and we used to really enjoy it, and and really enjoy like creating a myth, the mythology of him. Like in our first show, we had like. Pappy's laid another egg like like he'd laid eggs that were then hatched into like us like we were the members and there were different fun clubs around the world and stuff and we used to spend a lot of time kind of focusing on that and writing about that before we kind of realized no people didn't really care about that at all (laughs) it was only us that found it entertaining and so gradually we've kind of moved away from that but I think that that the, the kind of the move away from that and and the move away from that 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 kind of being the reason has kind of moved more into the it's kind of informed um well it's kind of gone along with our confidence in ourselves and like it felt like not um having pappy there kind of meant that it's more like it can be about us and we can kind of front it as ourselves without having to go like oh we're here for someone else and we kind of cut that kind of the the kind of meta element out of what we were doing and kind of like oh it's kind of a a show about a show it just kind of became a show do you have any general tips or advice for aspiring comics and aspiring sketch groups yes thank you and do you have (laughs) (laughs) The, the the key thing is to uh, it, it's something that Tom said very early on is to uh, to do it and to do it all the time. If anyone offers you a gig, take it. If you know, so long as you're not putting yourself massively out of pocket, just keep performing. Keep performing as much as you can. Keep writing as much as you can. Uh, just it, like at any stage that will put you up and for any amount of time, go up and do you know five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is. And um, also as well, like write stuff. Plan what you're going to do on stage. It's it, it like stand ups make it look easy. Make it look as if they hop on stage and just think it up. Write jokes down, and as the more you write, the better you'll get. Yeah, my advice is love what you do. Don't do what you think is going to work. Don't do what you think is going to be successful. Do what you love. And if you love what you do, you'll keep doing it. And it might seem like no one loves it when you're doing it, but as long as you love doing it, that's all that matters. The other thing is don't measure yourself against anybody else. That's so, so key. Um, all your friends um, may be more successful uh, than you. They may be successful faster than you, but never measure yourself against anyone other than yourself. Yeah, don't and don't do it. Don't do it to get wealthy. Don't do it so that you can quit. Like, you've got to do it because you love doing it. Because if you look at it as a, as a career path, you'll be like you'll be two years in and be like, do you know what? This isn't a career. You know, there's no... There's no reason to do it other than the fact that you love doing it. Great thing Alan Cochran said to us in the very early days after a gig. He said, you are what you do. Writers are writers because they write. Comedians are comedians because they gig. They get out there and they do it. And everyone you meet who wants to be a writer, you're only a writer if you get up and write. So do it. Or sit down and write. Or sit down and write. (laughs) You don't have to stand up and write. And do you have any tips or advice for students? Uh, my advice for students is just bloody enjoy your, like like love every moment of it because like it's a long time in the it's a long time in the real world and I I mean like I look back at my three years of standing uh, of being a student my three years of being a student were my f- 
like I just had such a great time and it's like do everything you can do join things meet as many people as you can for some reason I went to university I was convinced I was going to meet the people who I was going to work with and I met Crosby and you know like it's and we you know we've ended up I remember just before you left uni and we said we'll go to the Edinburgh Festival one day we'll take a show that we love and we'll we'll take it by storm and it was like and fucking hell we did it you know and I love that and I think you've got to go to university and you've got to have it your degree's there but it's the it, it's a it's a small part of why you're at university everything else is as important uh this is a, this is this might be a bit specific but if in the first week your uh long-term girlfriend breaks up with you don't dwell over it for the next three years uh, otherwise when you're about 27 you'll probably have a small breakdown <laughs> and sleep with people you really regret sleeping with that seems yeah. fair doesn't it that seems fair yeah 